to Freshly Forever, a podcast that gives you fascinating insights week after week. Here's your host, Vai Kumar. Hey folks, welcome to another episode on podcast Freshly Forever. Today, I had the pleasure of talking to Rohini Bajekal. Rohini is a nutritionist. She is a both certified lifestyle medicine professional working with clients, providing evidence-based nutrition and lifestyle advice. And most importantly, she is the author of the very famous and best-selling book now, Living PCOS Free, co-authoring it with her mom and OBGYN of over 35 years, the famous Dr. Neetu Bajekal, who incidentally was on this show earlier as well. Hey, Rohini, welcome to the podcast. Such a pleasure seeing you today. Thank you so much. No, it's very exciting to be here. And it's horribly wet and rainy here in London. So definitely doing this podcast <laughs> is the highlight of my day. <laughs> oh, how nice. How nice. And uh, being rainy and wet in London is no surprise at all, I guess. So <laughs> I guess it's it's very much part of the norm, I would think. So your story, Rohini, and how you have learned to stabilize your health over the years. So I know from probably like a normal teenage life, uh, you know, involving sugary drinks and things like that, transitioning to an adult life with some alcohol and importance to coffee and whatnot, and to becoming an ethical vegan. Why don't we get started with you highlighting to the listeners about your journey and uh, how you saw the emphasis on health and well-being? Sure. So, yeah, really, it began when we were I was a child. My parents are from India, from South India specifically, although they kind of grew up in different parts. And they moved to the UK when I was a baby and had my sister in the UK and they really loved their careers as surgeons. So we bounced around the UK in different places. And when my sister was about nine years old, we got a dog and she started to make the connection between meat and, um, you know, the, the fact that we were eating animals. And she sort of questioned why we were eating pigs, which were more intelligent than dogs, when we love our dog so much. And she kind of pointed out really that um, cognitive dissonance that so many adults don't really want to face. And when presented with that, my parents didn't really have an argument. So we decided to go vegetarian. My sister and I were not vegetarian. My mom was brought up vegetarian in India, but um, we loved our sausages and our, you know all the usual stuff. We lived in the north of England at this time. And then a few years later, she started to actually make the connection about dairy and meat, which many people don't realize. Obviously, vegetarianism is hugely popular for a variety of reasons in places like India, but often people don't realize just how interlinked they are. So she starts to kind of question things and, and said, you know, white equals red. And that really shocked my parents when she said that, because she was basically saying that the same meat the same milk, the cow that provides the milk is eventually going to end up in the slaughterhouse. And this is kind of big, a big, um, big th- statements from an 11 year old. And so I also uh-huh, like an awakening moment. Exactly. Like an aha moment. Exactly. And my mum was quite worried because she said, okay, I can deal with vegetarian, but what are you going to eat if you're, if you're vegan, you know, um, where are you going to get your calcium? What about milk and all this? And we never grew up eating that much milk, but we loved yogurt and other things. And then those days, this was 20 years ago plus, and you couldn't really get soya yogurt and things like that easily available. You couldn't get almond milk and cashew milk and pea milk and soy milk and all these amazing options that you now have. So um, we had to live a very different lifestyle. And so we lived in London at the time and we were the only vegans in the village. Like we didn't know anyone else that was vegan, but mm-hmm. we also didn't wear leather or wool. And, you know, it was a very different upbringing as a teenager, but I'm very grateful for it because it kind of taught me about self-discipline, justice, anti-oppression. And it gave me a real kind of direction. And actually my sister and I are both five foot eight and five foot nine. So we haven't had any growth problems. And um, despite with the, our teachers mm-hmm. being a bit worried, my mom and dad were both amazing cooks and would cook everything from scratch. So we pretty much grew up eating a whole food plant-based 
diet without obviously you know thinking about it that way because we ate loads of fruit we loved our fruit we ate loads of vegetables more typical home-cooked Indian food as well as other cuisines because both my parents would experiment in the kitchen my dad wasn't vegan he would eat plant-based at home but my mum my sister and I were um and when I went off to Oxford University, I was hopeful that I would meet other people who were interested in ethical, you know, veganism, but that didn't happen. And I really struggled there emotionally. I was often teased or made fun of for being vegan and I felt very socially isolated. And it was by the end of my time at university, mm-hmm. I started to eat dairy and things outside of the house, even though I knew how unethical it was. That's why part of what I do now is to really educate people about the importance of community. Whatever your lifestyle is, you need to have support. You need to have other people with you on the journey. It cannot just be you alone. Some people are very strong and can manage it, but most of us, we need that. We need that support from others. And so I really struggled. Um, And my health also took a real toll at university, both my mental and my physical health. So um, I often found that I would be relegated to my room for for days at a time because I was dealing with really severe symptoms of PCOS, which I would only come to later realize was PCOS or polycystic ovary syndrome. Not a fun thing to go to, right? No, exactly. And, you know, you think you're done with all that. By the time you're 21, you think, why do I, why am I getting acne? You know, because I was probably eating so well and walking the dog when I was an actual teenager, I didn't really get those issues when I was a teenager. It starts to happen when I'd moved out of my family home. My diet had changed. I was living on a lot of vegan, ultra processed foods, a lot of chips, alcohol, um, you know, a, a fried food, think sugary drinks. Um, sugary lattes, soya lattes to try to lift myself up. I was adding a lot of caramel and all these other things because I was just didn't really know how to nourish myself, to be really honest. And I was so stressed with my degree. Plus those were all like, yeah, kind of like cool stuff when you're amidst like a social circle, right? Exactly. So I often felt just really disconnected and it was over the next few years I was on this cycle of I would try to be healthy I didn't really know what healthy was so I would try different things it didn't really work I wasn't really into dieting at all but you know I would try hitting the gym for a bit or trying this new supplement but I wouldn't it didn't work and um, nothing really seemed to make much of a difference and I would go and see different people for different problems this was all while I was working in London so I would see a dermatologist for my skin issues and naturopath for my gut health issues um I was going to see different people for different things and despite my mother had said you know it could be PCOS I didn't really want to listen to her because I was young and (laughs) that was the last person I wanted to listen to despite the fact I'm very close with my mother um when you're 21 you just don't want to hear it from your parents oh yeah I mean I don't blame you I mean it's just very natural It's just that, you know, probably you take liberty and just want to express yourself with your parents and just tend to, you know, kind of, I think that's the first place where you can disagree, you know, whereas outside, you know, you would just kind of go with the flow, go with the norm. Yeah, absolutely. And so your mom thought it was PCOS, but you just kind of, you know, didn't realize up until that point, right? And then how did the rest of the journey uh, progress from that point on? I guess at one point you were even pre-diabetic and then you know like there was a time when you moved from the UK to India on work and then and then you were you were back yeah I didn't know all of this at the time I just thought okay I'm losing a lot of hair from my head I have very bad serious acne I get anxious my periods are a bit irregular but I didn't think much of it and um, I got the opportunity to move to Mumbai when I was in my mid-20s and work for a healthy food and beverage brand. And so that was really exciting. And when I moved that, that's really when things started to change. I still didn't know I had PCOS. You know, I hadn't had that diagnosis. Um, that was not in my head. Um, but when I moved to Mumbai, my lifestyle changed radically without me trying to do something differently. I'd gone from sleeping five hours a night in London to suddenly sleeping eight or nine hours a day. I think it was a variety of things. I had a slightly later start in India, so I wouldn't start work as early. I also found that more daylight, more exposure to sunlight was really helping me with my sleep rhythms, which happens to a lot of people. It's Our circadian rhythms are controlled, influenced by so many different things, including our exposure to natural daylight. 
I was also found that I was eating far less processed food. I would often reach for things that I thought were healthy, like processed granola bars or, you know, healthy uh, yogurts or whatever. And I didn't really think about the fact that these foods were really processed. They had a lot of added sugar, a lot of emulsifiers, a lot of things. And there's no reason to fear those foods in very small quantities. You know, having those things once in a while isn't going to break your health, but I was having them day Mm -hmm. in, day out. It wasn't really, and there wasn't really that much balance always. Um, And when I moved to India, I suddenly was eating just a lot of like more home cooked food. I lived with a few other flatmates and we had a lady who would come and um, cook some meals for us. And so we would split that. And I started to eat dal, lots of vegetables. I stopped being scared of fruit. I thought fruit had too much sugar before. So I started to eat lots of mango and papaya and lots of amazing fruit. And I started to notice this huge difference in my mood. I stopped feeling as anxious. My skin starts to clear up. And um, some of the excess weight I'd put on had was, you know, just shed naturally. And I wasn't even thinking about that. Yeah, everything starts to just fit into place. I had more energy. So I found that I was able to go on walks or to exercise with my friends or my new boyfriend, who's now my husband. I met him out there. So, you know, it changed my whole life. And I started to think, what have I done differently? You know, I, I'm really surprised that I feel so different out here. And I started to realize that the main thing was what I was putting on my plate. I was naturally eating a whole food plant-based diet in India. I was eating an abundance of whole plant foods, traditional foods that also contained a lot of anti-inflammatory spices like turmeric and ginger and lots of amazing things like that. And just found that I was far less stressed as a result. That's when I decided to go back to the UK and and study nutrition and food Oh, how wonderful. How wonderful. That's just a phenomenal story. Was your fear of eating fruit initially, was that stemming from this diagnosis or awareness that you were already in like pre-diabetic state? Was that in the UK before you went to India or when did you find that out? I found that out when I was doing my nutrition degree and that came as a huge shock because I had, I was, you know, on the outside, I looked like, to be honest, the picture of health. I was lean, I was healthy, I was feeling really happy, but I had started to include eggs and oily fish when I had gone back to the UK doing my nutrition degree because I was told in my course that if you don't eat eggs and fish, you're an anemic vegan or vegetarian, you're going to suffer. So I really got really stressed about it and I started to eat eggs and fish and I didn't feel good about it. But, you know, I thought that that was the healthiest thing and I was worried I'd had health issues before. And actually, I when I did my sugar levels, it was we were doing a course assignment and I when I took my blood sugar, they were just off the scale, fully pre-diabetic. And I thought there was a mm-hmm. mistake with the machine. So I went and asked my doctor to repeat the test. And when he said, no, you're pre-diabetic, I said, look, I'm 26. <laughs> I am working out five times a week. I'm a nutritionist. Like this isn't possible. And um, I'm not at all overweight and I didn't really understand um, and he's yeah that was the situation I found myself in which was really distressing I kept it to myself for years and at the same time my father who'd had type 2 diabetes and um, metabolic syndrome and had you know put on a lot of weight over the years was able to actually put his diabetes in remission using a whole food plant-based diet and so I was really inspired by that he'd watched a documentary called forks over knives and he tried so many diets over the years like so many people who do diet and end up weight cycling which is when you lose weight um you end up putting even more back on once you go back to your original way of eating and it's quite dangerous and not good for you at all especially Mm -hmm. for your mental health as well and but my father had seen amazing results and I knew that eating that way made me feel amazing like in India so I also decided to follow his footsteps and went back kind of got in touch again with my vegan roots which really veganism is not a diet it's an ethic of justice it's a kind of the aim is to widen your circle of compassion to all beings not just human beings but also non-human animals and to the planet I think it's really all-encompassing so that gave me this incredible sense of kind of um, peace and contentment and also purpose with what I wanted to do in my nutrition degree because I was kind of thinking afterwards what am I going to do with this so I was able to set up my practice 
as a you know full-time working in plant-based nutrition about 60 percent of my clients are not plant-based but many of them you know want to learn about this they want to transition but they want to do it in a healthy way and they also have a lot of myths in their head such as mm-hmm. that fruit is too full of sugar and being one I think that we pick up these things from magazines from friends family members diet culture there's a lot of different myths that we pick well, up along the way this is just too good I want to say your own journey plus deriving emphasis from whatever you know like your dad went through and everything you know like transforming into something hugely positive that's just phenomenal Rohini what about eating plant-based why is it important when you have to translate that message to your clients because you clearly mentioned there that 60% of those folks that come to you you know they don't have kind of an inkling of how significant is it so what would you say and i have often heard people say hey you know what when it comes to cooking meat when it comes to cooking non vegetarian foods it just seems like so easy it's just quick and easy whereas with vegetarian you know i've had even my own friend circle say hey you know i just find it more cumbersome so how do you address that how are you able to just impart this message of why veganism is important from the benefit side of it than you know kind of you know thrusting say my view or your view into someone else great question so there's a lot there to unpack and sort of there's a big difference between obviously veganism and talking about plant-based diets for health and so when it comes to plant-based diets we know that plant-based diets is one of the healthiest choices you can make it's there's absolutely nothing lacking in a plant-based diet you of course need to supplement with vitamin b12 the same way that a lot of omnivores are deficient in other micronutrients everyone who wants to have a healthy diet does require some basic nutrition knowledge to think about where their nutrients are coming from but a, a plant-based diet a healthy plant-based diet is one that's based predominantly around fruits vegetables whole grains beans nuts and seeds now it can be exclusively plant-based or predominantly so it could be 85 90% and that would still be considered plant-based but really you know for me when it comes to animals and comes to the plant on it there's a no brainer that we want to be as close to fully plant based as possible and that really depends on a variety of things but we know it can significantly reduce our risk of the most common chronic diseases i've already been mentioning type 2 diabetes a lot in this conversation which it hugely affects people particularly people from certain ethnic ethnic groups so we know that south asians in the uk for example are six times more likely to get type 2 diabetes than white british people so it's especially important to for to get this message out loud and clear it reduces the risk of hypertension heart disease which is the number one killer of men and women around the world certain cancers and a variety of other health issues so if you want to lead a long and healthy life you know a life where we're not hopefully super, super dependent on others where we actually have quality of life then a plant-based diet is definitely a tool that you want in your arsenal and remember that only plants have fiber and only about 1 in 10 adults here in the UK it's probably similar depending on wherever your listeners are only 1 in 10 adults gets their fiber recommendation a day so it's super important we talk a lot mm-hmm. about gut health and things like that you know that's why we need fiber and plants don't just contain fiber they contain vitamins minerals a plethora of plant nutrients that have a you know a wide ranging roles so they are absolutely fantastic when it comes to that when it comes to you know does it take longer to be plant based or is it more expensive well the studies consistently show that it's more affordable in many cases to be plant based unfortunately in certain western countries like the uk and usa meat and dairy is subsidized so the price is artificially lower than it should be but we know that some of the most affordable foods in the world are naturally plant-based whether it's oats or rice or lentils um all of these sorts of things pulses you know these are some of the cheapest um forms of plant protein on the planet but the, there's a few things that you can do to speed up this so getting a pressure cooker or an instant pot that makes you can make a simple dal in 15 minutes you know that doesn't take much time and it's as cheap as pennies or rupees mm-hmm. depending on where you are so i would advise people to get a few tools in their kitchen to speed up the process but 
often it's just education. And that's why my mother and I do a lot of community cookery classes. We're teaching people in the community how to prepare plant-based foods because a lot of people just sometimes don't know where to start. Although I will say with the South Asian diet, we're incredibly lucky because so many dishes are naturally based around plants. It's not like we have to reinvent the wheel. You know, we can really just eat our cultural foods and thrive eating those. But if there's something that you like, that's like, say you like um, lamb chops or beef, but say beef bolognese, instead of that, you can have lentil bolognese or, um, you know, there's so many different options for things. Instead of a creamy, cheesy macaroni cheese, you can, I make a delicious one with butternut Mm -hmm. squash and cashews. And it's really creamy. It's full of um, iron and other micronutrients. And I've tested it on children and my wider family who love it. So I know that it's kid approved. And I would say to someone, there's nothing that you cannot make plant-based, just nothing at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And to that point about, you know, like, hey, is it expensive or is it, what is it? Get yourself out and about and grow your own vegetables and fruits, right? You know, I know for a fact that your mom does it, you know, she does it extensively, having a very busy life as medical practitioner and you probably do it. I try to do my own, so I guess... Oh, I don't do that. (laughs) I don't do it, but um, I'm rubbish with gardening. But what I say to people is, don't let perfection be the enemy of progress just because you can't grow your own fruits and vegetables doesn't mean you can't start somewhere why not grow some herbs like some mint on your windowsill mint is pretty difficult to kill and I'm very good at killing plants and better at eating them than growing them I have to say so I always say to people just start somewhere if you can't go fully plant-based start with making some simple changes can you switch your cow's milk in your chai or your porridge or your oats um, to soya milk. That's a really simple swap that a like for like swap, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you already started mentioning about some meal ideas right there when you said, you know, substitutes for like a beef bolognese, you know, like a lentil bolognese and stuff. So how then can people make plant-based cooking more interesting? For starters, how can they make it very easy in the process, also making sure that they consume enough protein because there's always this misconception that plant-based food is not as protein-rich as perhaps an animal-based diet, right? So what do you say to that, Rohini? And what would you say in terms of substitutions there for protein requirements? I would say start by making simple swaps. So as I mentioned, you know, start with things you already like and finding substitutes. Don't just cut out meat and dairy, but find protein, iron, zinc and calcium rich plant foods to swap in instead. So in taking out the paneer, swap it for tofu. Or if you're getting rid of chicken, maybe add in beans into your burrito or your, you know, your other dish. And um, so always trying to make simple swaps. If you're going to get rid of cow's milk yogurt and then swap it in for soy milk yogurt and always try and make those simple swaps. That's the easiest way to start. And that is a really good first step. The second is to make dishes that you already enjoy. You know, if you really love pizza, try and make a plant-based pizza. Don't expect it to taste exactly the same, of course, but you know, there are some amazing recipes online and just try veganizing your favorite dishes as one of my, my simple tips. And again, a lot of Foods from other cultures, whether it's Ethiopian, Mexican, Indian, are naturally plant-based. So if you feel that you're a bit stuck with the food that you usually have, try looking to other cultures for inspiration. You know, you can't go wrong with a big bowl of dal and rice. It just hits the spot and it's such good comfort food. So I always just start telling people to veganize existing meals. And really, my third tip is to focus on what you're adding in rather than what you're taking out. So firstly, can you crowd out? out the meat and the dairy and the eggs and things by including more legumes so more plant protein so things like beans lentils tofu maybe things like tbp soya chunks they're very popular in india for example and tempeh nuts and seeds you can find so many different ways of bringing these into meals so and just adding these in a step at a time will make sure you get really good sources of plant protein. Protein is quite an overhyped macronutrient, but it is an important one. That means that 
especially if you've got things like insulin resistance, you do want to get good sources of protein in your diet, but you can get all the protein you need from plants. We know that just substituting 3% of the protein, animal protein in your diet with plant protein can significantly reduce mortality risk. So it doesn't need to be all or nothing, but making these swaps can hugely help and make it really enjoyable. But yeah, get into the kitchen because there is nothing better than cooking your own food, tasting it, experimenting with your own hands and trust me as a food scientist i find it very surprising that people say it's more difficult to cook plant-based foods because i find it very joyful you don't need to use separate chopping boards you don't have to worry quite as much about food poisoning Mm -hmm. obviously you still need to practice food hygiene and food safety but you're you're far less likely to get something like salmonella or e coli or campylobacter or any of these awful foodborne um, viruses and bacteria and pathogens that grow in animal foods. So um, yeah, you can't can't go wrong with adding some of these plant-based options in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's very well said. There's not much of worry as far as cross-contamination and things like that when it comes to cooking plant-based, right? And you really touched upon the legume consumption there. How about the role of legumes in preventing chronic ailments and I guess it's all about making food interesting when it comes to how you cook your food, right? So seasoning legumes in a variety of ways, I think that can just make it for an added flavor profile, right? When it comes to, you know, like people that are just getting used to introducing plant-based foods into their diet. Totally, totally. So here in the UK, we don't actually have many legumes in the traditional diet. It's just baked beans, which lots of people know Uh about in the UK. We have them for breakfast. That's about it in the UK. But in India, wow, you've got such a mix. So whether it's things like dal or kitri or even basin chila, like there's so many different things that you can make using bean-based products. And really the trick is seasoning. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and inherently and scientifically, it seems like, you know, a lot of the South Asian diets have so much in them, right? Just seems like, you know, if you just stick to the traditional methods, right there, it seems like you, know, you can just take care of your health. Absolutely. And legumes are fantastic for the planet. They they are, you know, um, nitrogen fixing. So they're really important for the soil health. They reduce the risk of things like common chronic diseases like type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and they are complex carbohydrates. So they provide really good slow release energy with a lower glycemic index. They're also rich in fiber. You know, a cup of lentils has about 18 grams of fiber. A cup of chickpeas has about 16 grams of fiber. A cup of chicken has exactly zero grams of fiber. So just remember that, you know, go for fiber rich foods and you can expect Experiment a variety of ways. If you get bored of your typical, you know, dal and so on, then you can try hummus. Hummus is an amazing, you know, uh, chickpea paste dish. I use other beans in there as well. Sometimes I use cannellini beans and I make other bean spreads. I add in beans into my smoothies. I use cannellini beans sometimes in smoothies. When I make soups, I add in cans of mixed beans. You don't have to cook all your beans and things from scratch. Obviously, you slightly lower the sodium content if you do cook beans from scratch if you've got pressure cooker and so on and it's also a bit cheaper but I always say to people progress not perfection so if it means that you're going to cook them more quickly if you can buy canned beans or beans in a jar then do that because it's better than going for a chicken takeaway or something like that that you're going to have instead Um, but beans are just an amazing food and sure some people say to me I get really bloated Rohini I can't handle beans and lentils usually that's a sign of Mm -hmm. gut dysbiosis so your gut microbiome is not really in the best shape so what you want to do is slowly start increasing the amount of fiber in your diet and remember that when you're eating um, things like beans and lentils that you want to drink more water because when you increase the fiber in your diet you do need more to be more hydrated so an extra glass of water or two will really help um and that and just things like taking regular exercise like walking after a meal and using uh um, spices and herbs that actually help with digestion so things like asafoetida which is obviously a resin or it's called hing or um ginger Mm -hmm. garlic um cinnamon uh fennel carminatives like these these are these are just fantastic for digestion in japanese culture they use a small piece of seaweed called kombu and that really helps with bloating and indigestion Mm -hmm. bloating and indigestion 
flatulence, burping, all of these things are so common now. People really do have a lot of acid reflux and that's not normal. It's not normal to eat a meal and be in pain or be uncomfortable or maybe scaring away all your friends and family because you can't stop farting or whatever. (laughs) It's a normal human function, but you want to be you know, you just be in tune with your body. That's not a good sign. So if that's the case, and you're someone that finds that when you do eat lentils, that you're very gassy, then you need to pay attention to that. If you want to keep your friends as well. (laughs) (laughs) That is well said. What about the aquafaba and the need to soak legumes, you know, if you were to cook from uh, scratch? And aquafaba is the liquid that remains after you cook the beans right so would you rinse your canned beans or how would you go yes yeah aquafaba can actually be used in a variety of food preparations i whipped it up the other day to make an amazing cake and you can use it to make vegan meringue and all this other stuff i had it in a um you know so many different preparations but yes I do get rid of the aquafaba usually I rinse it really thoroughly and even when you're cooking lentils or beans and scratch you can skim away the stuff that comes to the surface if you've got the time and the patience but really cooking things until they're really soft and combining them with spices and herbs and slowly increasing quantity starting with smaller lentils first if you're struggling that can really help you and um yeah getting enough exercise and yoga has been shown to be particularly helpful so moving your body and getting that mind body connection can really help with with gut health issues which women with pcos are more at risk of as well so definitely um be aware of that Mm-hmm. And so the soaking the legumes are important, right? And aquafaba can also serve as a replacement for eggs. If I heard you right there uh, mentioning, you know, you were able to use it in your baking. Yes, exactly. So aquafaba can be used for baking. You can also use other egg replacements. So I sometimes mix one tablespoon of ground flaxseed with four tablespoons of water that creates a nice flax egg. It depends on how much you're using things that you can use chia seeds as well. And then other things to add body and vegan baking. So things like mashed banana, pumpkin puree, applesauce. And these are also contain some fiber and are far better for you than, than, you know, typical eggs with all the saturated fat and other issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what about the myth that eggs are necessary for someone to feel really well and healthy because a lot of again my friends and even in family or anywhere else I've just heard a lot of people say hey an egg is a wholesome thing you know like say you're recovering from an illness or whatever you know you don't really uh, feel like you know you are gaining weight or whatever that may be you know just have you know like eggs every single day so what do you think, you know, you as a vegan would do in lieu of eggs? Or mm. is that even like a valid assessment that eggs are necessary for someone to, you know, just take care of themselves? Yeah, that's a really great question. So, you know, it really depends on the context here. If you're a child in um, an impoverished state and you're not getting enough nutrients or calories, then sure, eggs might be a helpful addition to the diet. But for the vast majority of us, we are not in that position. Thankfully, you know, we are lucky to be born who we are, where we are, that we can be getting all the nutrients that we need from whole plant foods. Whereas with eggs, they also come with potent sources of dietary cholesterol, saturated fat. And in there's a you know, a wide number of studies which do suggest that they also may increase the risk of type 2 diabetes in people who are susceptible. So I think it was a study showing eating five or more eggs a week. But it really depends on a variety of other factors. But yet there's nothing inherent in eggs that you cannot get from plant foods. So there's genuinely no reason to. And remember, again, eggs have no fiber and billions of chickens are slaughtered every year for a basically needless food. So that's what I would say to people is that if you really enjoy eggs, please go for a tofu scramble instead. Tofu actually contains more iron, doesn't have any um, cholesterol, is super low in saturated fat. It contains more micronutrients as well, like manganese and other things like that. And if you get calcium set tofu, it's also a great source of calcium. So 
really there's no reason to be choosing eggs if you live in a place where you've got things like tofu that's accessible or beans and lentils as well but I do love a tofu scramble and I add in lots of vegetables we have a great recipe for that in our book um we add in loads of vegetables and herbs like basil and things like that so I hope that answers your question I think there's a lot of myths out there but protein is found in a variety of foods including a variety of plant foods you know very few foods are totally deficient in protein obviously you want to go for good sources um but as i mentioned legumes and especially tofu is just such a fantastic source of that there's really no need to be putting eggs on your plate and chickpeas and red kidney beans perhaps you know would suffice in view of chicken right so i guess right there we have choices and uh, good choices to make and uh, we can get the fiber as well back in a moment with our guest on fresh leaf forever what about eating fresh fruits to again increase the fiber intake thereby promoting gut health taking care of your prebiotics probiotics whatever and also for the phytochemicals in them the benefits that you can derive so the need to eat more fresh fruits and Absolutely. for someone that that goes for that smoothie what would you say i mean is it still a good option is it just a matter of chewing it right what would, what do you have to say to that rohin Yeah, it's a super question. So definitely whole fresh fruits have been actually shown to have a reduce to reduce the risk of type 2 diabetes and that shocks a lot of people because a lot of people don't realize sometimes the difference between having whole fresh fruit and even having a lot of dried fruit or more obviously fruit juice which has most of the fiber stripped away you know dried fruit in small amounts can be a great option particularly if you're going for a run you know having a nice medjool day can really fuel that run but you don't want to be having heaps and heaps of that fresh fruit however you can really have an abundance and it's just a fantastic source of vitamins and minerals and phytochemicals and um vitamin C obviously which is so important for our immune health and functioning so um you don't need to be scared of whole fruit it consistently reduces the risk of chronic disease and actually low fruit intake is the third leading risk factor globally for early death for um so third um third leading risk factor for for death is um globally is poor fruit intake and that's according to the lancet so we want to be getting enough fruit in our diet for sure and the thing is with smoothies is it really depends on how you're preparing them smoothies can be a really good option for some people because you can assimilate the nutrients more easily you can pack it full of greens where you might not actually be a big fan of salads so you might not really ever mm-hmm. go for the salad so it really depends on what your typical diet is and smoothies can be a quick and easy way to take in a lot of nutrients and um, for someone who really struggles with their weight and puts on weight very quickly i would suggest probably staying away from smoothies and looking more at eating just you know um meals and chewing your food but you do need to also chew your smoothies so you assimilate the nutrients don't just wolf them down but they can be really helpful for, for particular groups so for example pregnant women suffering with nausea you know they can be really struggling to keep any nutrients down sipping on an ice cold smoothie can actually help with that um old older adults who might be struggling with appetite you know we know that older adults in their 70s and 80s and even 60s can struggle with their appetite sometimes so if you're struggling to get enough calories then a smoothie can be an amazing vehicle and also for little children sometimes little children just don't have much of, of space in their bellies to be taking in all that fiber you know they definitely can be eating fruit and veggies and things but sometimes they just don't have that ability so smoothies are an amazing way of getting protein fats carbohydrates and um, all the different micronutrients and i always suggest making a smoothie balance so using a plant protein rich source like a soya milk and if you're doing a lot of mm-hmm. weight training and you've got higher protein needs then consider things like a less processed pr- plant protein powder like a pea protein powder or you're doing a lot of weight training that can be really helpful um or for yeah there's some other people that can benefit from that as well and then maybe adding some nuts and seeds like some ground flax or chia or or some walnuts or some almond butter you know that can be a really great source of healthy fats 
and then some uh, all your fresh fruit and vegetables. So don't just drink pure fruit smoothies because that's going to put a big, you know, um, give you potentially a big glucose spike. Rather than having that, mm-hmm. trying to combine it with some greens, could you add in some kale or some spinach or, you know, something like that? Maybe a source of healthy fat like avocado or nuts into that and really thinking of it as a meal, actually sitting down and sipping, sipping it slowly and, and letting, letting it digest. Digestion starts in the mouth. That's where the amylase, the salivary amylase is, is produced. So remember that and don't just sort of gulp it down. You will be hungry in 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And maybe like a small handful of oats as well, like your overnight oats or anything. That's a great idea. Yeah. That's a good idea, like adding in some oats into that. Yeah, there's so many different options. I love smoothies because they can be really versatile and they're a good way to use up leftover vegetables or frozen fruit, which can also be more affordable. You know, frozen fruit is just as good as fresh, really, in many cases. A lot of people say to me, I can't afford that much fresh fruit. It's very expensive. So I say, fine, go for frozen, you know. You don't have to just follow the specific thing. But I always say to people, try to get in a mixture of fresh foods, absolutely, because that's burst with um, all those phytochemicals and vitamins and minerals. Vitamin C, for example, does get degraded with high temperatures or by freezing food. So things like um, your fresh herbs and uh, getting in some raw salad, like there's so many different types of salads that you can make, but also fruit is such a great source of raw food. And it's really dark here already in the UK. Winter is coming. So I often find that I'm craving salads less. But what I like to do is cook a hot meal and then have salad with that meal. So if I'm having a pasta dish with lots of vegetables, I will add a little rocket salad on the side with some cucumber, tomatoes, sprouts, and that gives me some, you know, fresh food as well. It keeps me really energized. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for the listeners here in the US, rocket salad is uh, aka arugula. So, oh, arugula, yes, um, arugula. I guess, yeah, <laughs> I just love my Arugula salad. Yeah, I just love that. I just love and it's so easy to grow in your own garden too. You know, one summer, I just ended up growing a lot of arugula. And you know, like the taste is just amazing, you know, when you just grow it fresh. And what about mushrooms? as a meat replacement and i know you talked about smoothies and that can so there seems like there's no excuse for people to you know kind of in this fast-paced modern world to you know just not have time to put together meals or you know just skip meals in fact which is never a good idea yeah it can be very challenging you know we i i've just actually come back from new york city and that you're you know we are under so many demands in our modern lives that our lives have changed dramatically in the last hundred years to the point where they're almost unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. And we're really subject to this sort of capitalist grind culture, which is constantly working, constantly never switched off. And so Yes, I'm a nutritionist, but I'm also a lifestyle medicine professional because I believe that whilst nutrition is the cornerstone of health, we have to look at the other pillars of our health. If you're spending four hours a day meal prepping instead of spending time with your friends, laughing, playing with your pets or your children, you know, that is not a healthy approach. So you've got to find balance. And for some people, cooking is not a priority for them. So I always say to them, you can be a healthy plant-based eater without having to spend hours in the kitchen. You can really batch cook a load of potatoes have greens um you know have things like hummus and fruit and you don't need to be spending hours cooking i love cooking personally so obviously i really enjoy it but i always say to people this lifestyle can suit a variety of people and absolutely you know if you want to be healthy you do have to un- like prior make it a priority you have to prioritize getting your movement in prioritizing your sleep making sure that you're putting wholesome rainbow colored fruits and vegetables on your plate um but i always wanted to say to people no matter what your lifestyle is like you can make this Mm -hmm, work mm -hmm. and cooking easy and having something fresh it can even be like a hearty bowl of soup right so and you know with some grain like quinoa or even like a pasta but then make it into like a soup with 
some vegetables in it, say Brussels sprouts, mushrooms and peppers and things like that, right? So mushrooms are a great yes. um, meat replacement as well. You can just, there's a plethora of ways to get creative with food. There's no need to skip meals. And like you said, for people in a rush, I think batch cooking and all the tools like Instapart and things like that can come in handy, correct? Absolutely, yeah. It can make it so much easier. It can make a difference between you reaching for another delivery or takeout rather than just um, yeah having foods. If I find that I haven't meal prepped for the week, I haven't had a few things in my fridge, whether it's, you know, batch cooking some grains like quinoa or brown rice and maybe making some lentils or something like that, I'll end up reaching for foods that are less nourishing. I don't like to think of foods as good or bad, but I end up going for foods that are just not going to keep me energized. They're not going to keep me satisfied. And I know that I'm going to end up going for that extra slice of cake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about unsalted nuts as a snack? Salted nuts, you know, you see them everywhere in the grocery shelves or like the bag of chips. So what are your go-to snack ideas? Yeah, nuts are an amazing food. Nuts can actually help. A moderate amount of nuts can actually help with the weight weight management and even weight loss in people who are trying to manage their weight. We know that, you know, 70% of the US population is either living with excess weight or obesity. So it's a huge problem um, for many people. And so nut consumption is also very low and we need to be eating more nuts. But try to go for raw nuts, especially the nuts that are rich in omega-3s. So things like your walnuts are an amazing brain healthy, heart healthy food that are rich in in omega-3s in specific, the alpha-linoleic acid, which is abundant in things like walnuts and flaxseed and chia seeds. So I love all nuts and they all have different benefits. Like almonds are a decent source of calcium, for example, and I love pine nuts and a pesto. So I like mixing it up. Some people find that when they start eating nuts as a snack, they end up eating a huge amount and they find it really hard to moderate them. So if you're going to have nuts, I would suggest having fresh fruit and with a few nuts on the side that actually looks is the glycemic index as well of the overall snack if you've got insulin resistance um but nuts are a great snack if you find yeah that you end up going through a whole bag then maybe use your nuts in your meal so put some walnuts on your oats in the morning or add in some um seeds like some some seeds into your salad so that's just a really good way of balancing out i do love nuts as a snack i make my own energy balls using things like dates and nuts and seeds and then i might add some cinnamon or other things like that in it but generally to manage insulin resistance i try to stick to three meals a day rather than having loads and loads of snacks i will snack occasionally um particularly if i've been really active or i'm just craving something but for for snacks, I suggest that um, people reach for yeah fresh fruit and vegetables more than anything else. Maybe a small bowl of soup or some leftovers. We often think snacks need to come out of a package mm-hmm. and be have a shiny label on it, but that's not the case. And quite often, I see that a lot of people are snacking because they're not really having wholesome meals. And when I ask them why they're snacking at eleven a.m., I say, "What did you have for breakfast?" They said, "I had a bowl of cereal with milk." And I say, okay, well, that's not a great meal because it's not really got a good source of of plant protein or complex carbs. How about having a bowl of oats with flax and walnuts and maybe some fresh blueberries and some cinnamon? That's going to keep you energized and going for longer. And they often find it does. And so, yeah, it's just it depends. And everyone has different needs. Like some people have um, bigger appetites. Some people are more active. So I always tailor my advice to the individual. When I work with my clients one to one, it's very individualized. I don't just give out advice that's for everyone but this is a generally good principles to live by Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah thank you for that and i always find personally that fruit is a mid-morning snack for me and then you know even pre-dinner when i just find myself trying to get into my pantry and reaching for that salty snack if i just set my eye on the the jar of pumpkin seeds I really tend to go for that. So I guess it's a matter of mindset and trying to just substitute whatever else you can and try to still keep it nice and healthy. And overcoming teenage issues like acne, PCOS, your niche area with a diet and lifestyle approach, Rohini, what would you say to anyone, you know, like having to reduce their sugar, oil and salt intake? 
matter of fact, I address any hormone related condition. Yeah, so I would definitely suggest, you know, focusing on um, rather than what you're taking out, what you're bringing in, because we know that women with PCOS have higher risks of disordered eating. So it's especially important to just be mindful of that. But things that you can do include things like um, including more herbs and spices, lemon and lime vinegars, rather than lots of salt and oil and sugar. And with sugar, it's a case of really looking at whole food sources. Can you use mashed banana or dates in your baking and things instead? Or can you go for fresh fruit that satisfies your sweet tooth? Cinnamon can really help with sugar cravings. Um, I love having sweeter teas like licorice tea. That can really help with curbing sugar cravings but I don't completely you know I never say something's completely off limits like if there's a delicious vegan donut and I really want to have it I will enjoy every bite without guilt or shame but it's just being mindful generally I really love my own food so I make some amazing desserts and I found really great ways of even making um, desserts like gajaka halva using almond flour not using and using raisins and dates rather than using lots of added sugar so it really you can explore a variety of dishes um on this lifestyle but definitely lifestyle is the first line of treatment and regardless of everything else that you hear out there even if you need medications which are so important to take evidence-based you know advice and take medications if you need them remember that for PCOS lifestyle is the first line of management so don't neglect all of these aspects your stress management your sleep your movement avoiding too much alcohol obviously avoiding smoking making sure you've got good relationships a good support system and you're investing in your relationships with your friends and your family and most importantly of course filling your plate with lots of wonderful whole plant foods Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. very well said and your eight-step plan to live pcos free i think whatever we have talked about applies to one cooking easy eating healthy and living a great lifestyle in terms of, you know, all the lifestyle pillars that you have already addressed as well. So it's not just for PCOS or any other hormone-based condition. It's for, you know, the whole spectrum out there, but specifically focusing on your beautiful book with your mom, the eight-step plan to live oh, PCOS free and yes. <laughs> not doing like a yo-yo dieting, but eating meaningful So what do you have to say to that? And I know you have beautifully outlined a 21-day meal and lifestyle plan there, including what one can drink. It's not just what can one eat for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, but it also includes what one can make as a meaningful drink as well. So why don't you talk about all of that? Oh, thank you. Yeah, so so, um, with regards to the book, my mother wanted to write a general women's health book and she wanted to cover every women's health condition in it. And I said, mum, you're only going to be able to write two pages on every single topic. Why not write the book on PCOS? And you know, they always, there's a saying, you always write the book you wish you had. And this is a book I wish I had 10 years ago. And it's relevant for anyone living with hormonal issues. So anyone who's struggling with weight gain, maybe in perimenopause and menopause or anything, because about 70, 80% of the advice in it is applicable to all people, all genders, all ages. It's really about reducing your risk of the most common chronic lifestyle Uh diseases. And we know that women with PCOS are at higher risk of things like type 2 diabetes. Over half of all women with PCOS will develop type 2 diabetes by the time they're 40 and higher risk of things like pregnancy-related diabetes, cardiovascular disease, womb cancer. So it's a pretty difficult condition. So remember, one in 10 have PCOS. In some studies, some South Asian studies, they've shown that women in India have as much as one in four women have PCOS. And it's a, the most common hormonal condition to affect women. And some of the common symptoms are things like acne, excess hair growth, irregular periods, excess weight gain, insulin resistance, and diabetes. And obviously, it's the lead cause of infertility as well you know the the book we include a lot of science um it's got over 500 recipes but we 500 references it's got about 30 of my own recipes actually but we try to make it as accessible as possible by breaking it into chapters and using examples of real life patients using composite case studies to bring them to life so you can really imagine all the different people that can have pcos and how it can present but um the reason we did you know a plan and we 
devoted part four to nutrition is because it really is the cornerstone in PCOS. And sometimes people with PCOS are just told by their doctor, go away and come back when you want to have a baby. And you're not given the tools to empower yourself and actually manage your condition. And that's often because of a variety of reasons. It can be the doctor just not having enough time to work with you. Sometimes it's actually a lack of knowledge of how to apply these lifestyle and exercise changes. Just telling someone to lose weight is not the most empowering message because it's very difficult without knowing you know, what to actually eat how to move all of these things so it we try not to make it prescriptive and say to people just do what you can if you can do just 10 minutes that's better than zero minutes you know just building it up gradually being more mindful of these things and obviously dealing with the emotional stress of living with conditions so we include activities whether it's skipping walking in nature coloring in yoga meditation breath work all of this plays a huge role in managing your condition and um we yeah we created the plan to make it more easy for people to follow and also just to give people that hope that you can overcome this do not let your pcos define you um i certainly didn't i i I've totally embrace the fact that I have PCOS. I don't believe that you can completely cure the condition and reverse it, but you can certainly see um, remission and you can manage your symptoms. And that's what living PCOS free means. And so, yeah, the book came out for sale in the UK in April and in the US in June, and it's available worldwide on things like the book depository. But if you enjoyed it, then definitely leave us a review because it shows the book to people with PCOS who are on Amazon and other places. And it can really help but that's why we wrote it is because I don't I think I benefited so much from having my mother my mother helped me so much with you know once I got my official diagnosis in the pandemic my mum helped me to apply everything I knew support me give me the support of having that gynecology and lifestyle medicine background and I wanted to share her knowledge with everyone else and also share what I've learned because no one should have to struggle for years not having answers and for many women, that's the case. The dots never get joined because it's such a complex diagnosis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Beautiful. And just some um, quick references for people. So what about, you know, again, emphasizing on the sources of iron and calcium in a plant-based diet. And if you can give us or walk us through like a quick three-day meal idea, breakfast, lunch, dinner, I think that'll be great for even college students or folks that are hard-pressed for time. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so great sources of iron. Great sources of iron include things like dark leafy greens, whole grains like quinoa and oats, tofu and tempeh, um, you know, beans of all kind, particularly things like um, yeah, red kidney beans, and then blackstrap molasses is a great addition as well. Um, lentils. Dried fruit, particularly things like apricots. Yeah, lentils are an amazing source of iron. dried apricots, cashew nuts. Um, So yeah, having a mixture of whole plant foods will definitely help. And with iron, the key thing is a few things. You don't want to be drinking large amounts of red wine or tea or coffee with iron-rich meals. So avoiding your chai with your chapati is a good rule to remember. And if you're having um, too much, uh, if if you want to avoid that, and a good way to enhance iron in meals is to pair it with vitamin c rich foods so pairing it with oranges and things like that so um a good source of vitamin c are for example red bell peppers so combining iron rich foods like maybe broccoli and greens in a stir fry with red bell peppers is a great option or putting fresh berries which are rich in vitamin c on your iron rich oats these are just simple tips that make a huge difference and for calcium you ideally want to go for fortified plant milk so soya milk which is fortified with calcium or calcium set tofu that's going to give you really good amounts of calcium and there are also naturally occurring sources so citrus fruits like oranges things like dark leafy greens particularly low oxalate greens like your kale uh it's a great source rocket leaves are a good source of of calcium and um, and you also get calcium from other legumes and beans white beans like cannellini beans and also grains and also nuts and seeds like almonds i already mentioned before um and there are some other nutrients to pay attention to like selenium which is important for immune functioning that's a great source of brazil nuts so just having one or two brazil nuts a day will give you what you need and then zinc rich foods as well and iodine as well can be found in some sea vegetables but in the uk we don't iodize our salt in the us i know that you do it 
Um, so I take an iodine supplement as well. And then with omega-3s, you want to be getting in black seed or chia seeds every day or walnuts as well, six walnut halves or a tablespoon of ground black seed, one to two tablespoons, it depends on your, um, on your needs and things. And that's really important if you're trying to get pregnant or you are pregnant or breastfeeding, you want to probably take an algae derived omega-3 supplement. And that's something that, you know, the data is still not 100% out on this, but if you can afford it and you want to, to take it and it can help with some things like inflammatory skin conditions like acne, then it's worth exploring. Um, when it comes to a menu, I think my number one breakfast tip is to have a bowl of oatmeal. Mm-hmm. I'm saying oatmeal because I know that's what you call it in the US. <laughs> yeah, porridge. Um, but it's so there. versatile. Yeah, porridge. It's like cheap and plentiful. You can put some plant milk, like soy milk in there, and uh, berries, like blueberries, cinnamon, which again helps with blood glucose control. And you can top it with all kinds of delicious things, whether it's goji berries or flax or so chopped date or banana, kiwi, so many different options. So that's my number one porridge and you could um, tip and you can make it as cheap as you want. If you're a student, you can just have regular oats with banana. You know, it doesn't have to be fancy, but it was going to give you slow release energy. And then for lunch, I love things like baked potatoes, um, uh, you know, with a salad and homemade hummus. I make my own hummus. I use tahini instead of using loads of oil. Um, a lot of the shop bought ones are not as nutritious. Um, and things like curry. I love a warming curry. I try to eat more of my energy intake earlier in the day. So front loading your calories. Okay. So having a bigger lunch and dinner and then the evening meal is a bit lighter and smaller. But again, this varies day to day. I have a very active life here in London. So I sometimes socialize, I go out for dinner with my friends. So this is, remember, all of this stuff has to fit into a healthy mindset. If you don't have a good relationship with food, the rest of this stuff is just not, you know, not important. You need to first work on your relationship with yourself and having a good relationship with food. If you're fearing food and you're frightened, that's going to be detrimental to your health. Um, And for an evening meal, I love things like soups, I love a big salad where I put avocado and um, cucumber, fennel, radish, beetroot, peppers, rocket or arugula and, you know, all different things. And that's really nice. Sometimes I make homemade veggie burgers. Um, I love wraps and I put tempeh pieces and sauteed vegetables. I love stir fries because you can get a real diversity of plants and the American Gut Project showed we need to try to get at least 30 different plants a week. So I love things like that. And I love cooking Indian food as well. So I love just simple hearty things like kitchri or um, chole or rajma. I love that kind of thing. So bean-based dishes are amazing. So really, I try and mix it up. I don't tend to eat the same food every day. But um, I, I do suggest trying some of these dishes because they are so cheap and plentiful. And I share a lot of recipes and tips on Instagram at Rahini Bajako, just my name on Instagram. And my mum is also at Dr. Neethi Bajako. We both love sharing what we're cooking and what we're eating on there and just inspiring others. Because I think once we see how much there is to enjoy and explore with plant-based food, honestly, it's there's no going back. That's uh, just fascinating. I will also mention, so I do love having things like um, a warming, warming drink. So I love having red bush tea or rhubarb tea with a, a splash of oat milk, or I, you know, you can have different things like coffee, matcha, whatever you're having. Um, sometimes I'll make a turmeric and ginger tea. And for sometimes for dessert, I'll bake something at home. So I'll make like muffins made out of mashed bananas and buckwheat flour and walnuts. Cause I have a really big sweet tooth. So I usually do have something sweet every day. It might just be a square of dark chocolate. But I, it makes my soul happy. I would feel very sad if I didn't have anything to enjoy at the end of the day. <laughs> well, a well-deserved, uh, you know, small indulgence, right? And I guess you have also emphasized enough on the role of exercise for betterment of health, you know, though one may be in a rush, you know, getting that in, right? You know, like every small movement counts, right? Just make it five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever that is possible. For sure. That can really Okay, help. and some fun stuff, your vegan wedding, you know, that was just something hugely an inspiration for anyone thinking, hey, how do I do make a big event like my wedding, you know, vegan? So why don't you just share with <laughs> listeners your experience on planning a bigger scale event like that, Rocky? Yeah, that was so much fun. You know, I love planning things and bringing joy to other people. And I had a vision for a beautiful day that I just wanted 
it to be so wonderful and no one would even think, oh, it's vegan. And so many of our guests don't even realize that it was the food was vegan because they'd never tried vegan food like in that way before and they thought it was so delicious and actually several of my guests went vegan afterwards one of my best friends her entire family went vegan after coming to my wedding they were so enamored with how delicious the food was and many people also said to me afterwards that they that wedding inspired them to try to eat more plant-based foods which was just literally the best thing I ever heard and but we planned an amazing menu with an Indian catering company we had such delicious delicious food we had typical Indian desserts like laddus and you know different things like piasim or kheer but using plant-based options we had raita made out of coconut yogurt and pomegranate and cumin all these amazing things so we showed people you don't have to have any there's nothing missing and I had three wedding cakes all different flavors elderflower and lemon and raspberry and vanilla and all these different things all totally vegan I even had gluten-free options for some of my gluten-free guests that were gluten-free and vegan and there was everything from the super indulgent to things that were more wholesome um, and people just really really enjoyed the food the canapes the food that I spent a lot I think I spent about 10 times more time planning the food than thinking about my outfit <laughs> <laughs> but that just sums me up. I'm all about the food. <laughs> well, I don't blame you. Sounds a lot like how I cook and eat as well, you know, because we all do it for different reasons. And uh, I guess it's a good thing that we realize at different junctures the need for, um, you know, eating and nourishing ourselves right. And uh, so whether it's meat-based or whether it's, you know, inspiration, just like from this conversation, I just hope that several more folks would, you know, just include it. You said it very beautifully, you know, like think about what you can include more rather than taking out whatever, you know, you need to. I mean, so I guess that's when, you know, it becomes like a preventive mindset versus, you know, like an opportunity to do more, right? So just always see the positive rather than, you know, focusing on, you know, what you shouldn't do. Because I guess the minute you tell someone, hey, don't do this, I think that becomes a barrier to, whatever progress they can make right so such a fascinating conversation and thank you so much for joining us here on the show and taking time to highlight how easy living healthy can become as a lifestyle medicine professional and as a nutritionist i think you have just sent the message loud and clear rohini and thank you so much and your instagram handle at rohini bajekal and your website i'll be sure to include all of that in the show notes and with your permission if i can just put out there on the show notes like the three-day meal plan that we talked about from your 21-day stuff from your book, you know, I'll be happy to include that as well. Sure, absolutely. Just what I mentioned is is fine. If you want to include that or put one recipe from the book, that would be fine. I don't know if, I think I have a link, so I'll send you that after. Okay, awesome. And to listeners, as always, follow me on Instagram at YP Kumar and follow the podcast, rate the podcast, leave a review from your podcast app of choice. And I'll be sure to uh, bring yet another interesting guest and talk about yet another interesting topic on this show. Until next time, it's me, Vai, saying so long. Bye.